Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for spending your most valuable resource, your time, once again with me on the show. I've got another fantastic show for you with a fantastic guest. I'm joined by Dave Dubow on today's show. Dave, welcome to the show. MC, thank you so much for having me. You are like one of the most energetic podcast hosts I've ever had the pleasure of being on the show. So thank you. Fantastic. Now, Dave, for folks not familiar with you, and what you do, could you please share a little bit about your background and journey with them? Yeah, well, I'm based up in beautiful British Columbia, Canada, and I've been in and around real estate investing for quite some time. I actually kind of grew up around at MC. My family home as a kid was a one unit in a sixplex that my grandfather and my father built. And then fast forward a few years, my mother became an active real estate investor herself. She built up a portfolio of about... Uh, 50 rental units way back in the day before there were cool guys like you doing podcasts and webinars and, and all sorts of things. So, but, you know, being the typical teenager, I didn't really clue in, <laughs> didn't pay much attention to it. And um, yeah, I kind of stumbled into real estate investing myself when I was living overseas in, in a little place called San Jose, Costa Rica. Uh, yep. Was, had a had a business down there, started doing a couple of little pre-foreclosure type things. Uh, that's that's how I got into real estate investing, then moved back to Canada and saw one of those late night infomercials. You too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. Do you remember those, MC? Absolutely. Oh yeah, Carlton Sheets, right? <laughs> well, actually, my version was a gentleman named Ron Legrand, but same idea. And basically I said, hey, you know, at that point, that was great. I've been out of the country for so long. I, I didn't have any credit. I hadn't uh, been able to sell my business in Costa Rica, so I didn't have much money. I'd been self-employed so long, I was pretty much unemployable. So I was like, sign me up. And then I did uh, 18 creative deals in 18 months. That was kind of my first kick at the can with real estate investing. Joined forces with an up-and-coming Canadian version of, of our mutual uh friend, uh, Mr. Robert Kiyosaki, kind of a Canadian version of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, training and, and coaching and, and investing, went on board with him for a number of years and uh, took some time off from real estate, got back in 2010, did some rent-to-own type deals. And then more recently, I'm more of a passive investor in multifamily deals. Fantastic. One of the things that you focus on and that I'm really excited to uh, jump into and have a conversation is... Um, Raising capital, you know, yeah. to start with raising capital. And there's a lot of folks starting on their journey. And I've always mentioned when the opportunities will become available, uh, mm -hmm. which they will, uh, a plethora of them um, during downturns, especially capital to get to and lending to get to is very, very hard. Uh, you share a lot of great things with regards to getting started in raising capital, especially for new real estate investors. What can you share with my listeners? And I know that you have a five-step money partner for, formula that you also yeah, share that's right behind you. Um, what can you share with my listeners and my viewers regarding just uh, getting started in raising capital for real estate investing? 
Yeah, that's a great question, MC. And here's the thing. Really, quite frankly, I think you probably should have at least one successful deal under your belt already before you start raising capital from other people. Um, Is it possible to raise capital with zero experience? Yeah, it's just a lot more difficult. You don't really have any proof of concept. Now, here's the good news. You only need one successful deal under your belt, in my opinion, to be worthy of starting to raise capital. And like many things in my life, MC, I went about this all wrong uh, when I first started because I'd heard, you know, find a good deal and the money will find you. Have you ever heard that one? Yep. Yep. Well, I heard that one too. And I remember I had I'd self-financed my first couple of deals when I got into the, the uh, tenant first rent own strategy, ran out of cash, ran out of credit. And of course, that's when the perfect deal landed in my lap. I was like, oh crap, now I need to raise 85 grand, you know, find the deal, the money will find you. Well, it's not like the secret where the universe is just going to plop 85 grand on, on your lap, right? You have to do something. So I'd also heard, pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars. I said, oh, that sounds sucky, but I'll try it. <laughs> so I picked up the phone, dialed, rejected, dialed, rejected, dialed, rejected. I'd like to say I did it a hundred times and just kind of grinded it out, but I didn't, MZ. I quit after about 10 or 12 times. My poor little fragile ego couldn't handle all that rejection. So then I'd also heard, hey, if you got a good deal, go out and turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. So I tried that. I networked up a storm, B&I, Toastmasters, Chamber of Commerce, wherever the heck they would let me in the door. My business cards, I tried that, failed miserably. Just because, you know, 2020 hindsight, I was just desperate for the money. And that desperation just kind of oozed through every pore in my body. Then I came up with a brilliant idea, MC. Let me let me know what you think of this one. I thought, hey, this is such a good deal. If enough people see it, it's going to sell itself. So I put together a, a list of about 200 people that I knew, got their email addresses, and I spammed them. I mean, I sent them this deal in a PDF and I set that out at about seven o'clock at night. Next morning, I got up and I was so excited because it's the first thing that had any signs of life. I started seeing some replies going back in my email. I was so excited until I started reading those replies, MC. And then they said stuff like, hey, Dave, dude, I haven't heard from you in 10 years or I haven't heard from you in 15 years or whatever it was, long time. And here you are hitting me up for cash for a deal. Take a hike. <laughs> So I failed miserably my first crack at raising capital. I had to back out of that deal. I ticked off my tenant buyer, ticked off the seller, the realtor, the mortgage broker, everybody. And I'm in a fairly small city. So I had some major egg on my face. And that's when I decided, MC, you know what? This sucks. This whole find the deal and the money will find you is baloney in my, in my opinion. What we want to do is we want to find the money first, have our investors lined up, ready to go in the wings. And then go look for the deals. Like you were saying at the beginning of the show, there's going to be lots of opportunities out there. If you've got the capital to back you up, then you can jump on them right away and you can take massive action. So it took a while, but I came up with this process with my background in marketing and whatnot of actually attracting investors to me instead of desperately chasing after them. Does that make sense? And that, that conversation, I know you've seen this time and time again because you, you've been doing this for a long time, MC. But when somebody reaches out to you and they're already coming to you, they're pre-motivated, they're pre-educated about what you do. To a certain degree, they're already pre-qualified because they got the gist of what kind of deals you're doing and probably the price range, right? Yeah. And they're they're ready to jump. So that's that's what we've come up with with this five-step money partner formula. 
which I'm happy to kind of walk through you with you in a, in a big picture view, if you'd like. Yeah, that, that would be great. Just a comment before you do that, too. It's so true. And I think this is a big takeaway for our listeners that you don't want to be that person that goes and ties up a deal. And then you're like, oh, now I got to now I got to go find this. And it's, I mean, it. Uh, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen uh, train wrecks of, of situations uh, just like all that. the time, don't we? We hear that all just find that good deal and the money will find you like that's that's I've heard it so many times. It's frustrating. Yeah, there's no there's no uh, um, how can I say there's no magic bullet for that. Right. Oh, the, if you find the right deal. The money will just come. No, no, no. There's there's work involved in strategies on all side of it. So um, having and building um, an investor list and getting your investors together so that finally when the deal arrives, you are in a position of strength on both sides of it with your yeah. investors and negotiating the deal will give you much more confidence negotiating the deal too, because you know that you can come in and you can close quickly. So that was a, that was a golden nugget there. Um, yeah. Let's, let's dump, uh, jump into the, uh, the five-step um, uh, formula, if you don't mind. Sure. I'd be happy to. So big picture MC is when you're first starting to raise capital, we have to be logical about this, right? So, a lot of people I see them marching out there and they start, they think anybody and everybody with a pulse and a checkbook could be a good investor. And that's a big mistake because I see people going out there and on social media and just on all these kind of different public public platforms and they're promoting their deals. Two challenges with that. Number number one challenge is logic, right? We got to think about it. For somebody to invest with you, um, you know, especially when you're just getting started, they're going to need to know you like you and trust you with their money. So if you're if you're new to raising capital, you're going out to the general public, you know, strangers, they don't know you, they don't like you, and they sure as heck do not trust you with their money. So that's a very, very difficult road to go down, right? So that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is legalities. Okay. I'm up here in Canada, you're in the States. Uh, we've got all, all got these regulatory authorities. The Securities and Exchange Commission is a great one in the states. Each state uh, has its own as well. Each province in Canada has its own. And basically, the same same thing. It says it's illegal for you and I, as mom and pop real estate investors, to raise capital from the general public unless either A, we're licensed to do so, or B, we've jumped through a lot of legal hoops and, and gotten permission to do so through an offering memorandum or certain corporate uh, setup and certain exemptions from the, the Securities and Exchange Commission, those kind of things, which tend to be pretty pricey to set up in the first place, especially if you're doing single family homes or smaller deals. Does that make sense? Yep. So yep. where do we start then? If, if So right, if you're writing no, notes, you guys, write down stranger danger. <laughs> stranger danger when it comes to raising capital. So where do we start? Well, where we want to start is the logical place to start is with people that we have a pre-existing relationship with. They already know us. They already like us. Now we just have to work on seeing if they trust us with their money. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's the, the place to start. So step number one is create a list of a couple of hundred of these people, like I did back in the day, but we're going to do it smarter. So the one smart thing I did when I started raising capital is come up with that list of people that I had that relationship with. The dumb thing I did was hit them right out of the gate with, hey, it's Dave. I got a deal. Have you got any money? So the second part of step number one is reconnect with those people on a personal level first before you start pitching your deals and talking real estate. 
And we've got a very simple three-step process for doing that. Just very, very simple to do via email. And basically, you can set it up once. You can send out to all 200 people at the same time. And then your only job is to have genuine reconnections with people that respond back to you via email. Very, very simple thing to do. So that's step one. Create that target group and break the ice with them first before you start talking business. Does that make sense, MC? Yep, absolutely. All right. Step number two, once we got that ready, next thing we ought to be ready to go with is a really good investor presentation. Because when somebody puts up their hand, we don't want to be caught like a deer in the headlights going, oh, crap, now what? (laughs) So what I always recommend is let's have a good slide show presentation, a slide deck, like a PowerPoint or a keynote or something like that. And especially at the time that we're recording this, we still got this whole COVID thing going on and some people aren't comfortable getting together face-to-face. So with a good presentation, you can jump together with somebody on Zoom, share your screen, walk them through the presentation. You can meet with somebody at a coffee shop, just open up your laptop, go through the presentation. It keeps you on track. It simplifies things. It's much more visually interesting for the other person. And it makes sure you don't forget any of the important points, right? Now, a couple of tips about a good presentation, MC. Number one, we got to remember that the other person that we're presenting this to is probably not a real estate fanatic or a real estate weirdo like we are, <laughs> okay? MC, you know what I'm talking about, right? Have you yep. ever talked to, I mean, we're, we're immersed in real estate all the time, but if you talk to a regular civilian and you start getting into the details about real estate, I don't know about you, but I've, I've seen eyes roll back at the back of their heads. They kind of zone out. They, they don't get it. Yep. So we got to keep it simple, reader's digest level. Here's a great tip. If you can do your presentation to an average 13-year-old and they understand it, you're on the right track. Okay, so that's step number two. Let's make sure we got a good presentation ready to roll. Step number three, here's where we, here's where we kick things into gear, my friend. Marketing. Constant, consistent communication. We got to get top of mind and stay top of mind with that target group of a couple of hundred people. And this is where the real magic uh, comes in. So a couple of tips about this, all sorts of things work really well these days. What works best for our clients these days, MC, electronic newsletters, video logs, and blog posts. So our goal is to have at least one piece of edutaining marketing coming out once a week from them, from the client to their contact list. So that's your goal. You got these 200 people, you want them to be hearing from you once a week, but here's the trick. You want to keep it light. You want to keep it edutaining, a little bit educational, a little bit. Remembering they're not, they don't want to know everything we know. They just really want to know we know our stuff. A little bit educational and hopefully a little bit entertaining at the same time. So they look forward to getting your stuff, or at least they open it up and take a look at it once in a while. So here's the other tip. Edutaining, Reader's Digest level. Again, keep it at a simple level where the average 13-year-old can easily understand it. Now, I'm not saying that your investors are dummies or or they, they... They're all at a 13-year-old level, but here's the thing. We want to keep it simple for them. So keep it at that level. And then here's the trick because people always say, well, Dave, how are you getting investors reaching out to you, booking meetings on your calendar, all this kind of stuff? Here's why. I tell them to. to. I tell them exactly what I want them to do. So you always want to have a clear call to action at the end of all of your marketing. Hey, if you'd like to find out more and see how this can work for you, click on the button below, book a call. Let's have a conversation. Let's see what this is all about. Does that make sense, MC? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So that's step number, what was that? That was step number four. No, that's step number three. That's the marketing. Step number four is to be seen 
as an authority, a real estate authority in the eyes of your target group of potential investors. So here's the good news, right? Here's the good news, you guys. You don't have to be like MC where you got this huge platform and you've done a gazillion podcast interviews and you've interviewed all the cool kids like Kiyosaki and Cardone and all these kind of cool folks. You don't need all of that to get started. That's very helpful for sure. But to get started, here's a few tips. Number one, look the part. When you are meeting with a prospective investor, I'm going to suggest that you dress at least business casual, right? Show them respect. It'll get respect back from them as well. Speak knowledgeably about your primary real estate investing strategy and your primary market. Now, you might do a variety of different things, but I'm going to suggest focus on one strategy and one market when you're trying to explain things to a non-real estate person, right? So be able to speak intelligently in a simple manner about that. Hard, sharp-looking materials, good-looking website, good-looking uh, business cards, professional headshots. Invest a few bucks in getting some uh, professional photographer to take your picture and update them on a fairly regular basis. So these are some tips. Get interviewed on other people's podcasts. There's a great way to be seen as an authority is to get interviewed. And there's all sorts of other things that you can do as well. Yep. Absolutely. And the, the nice thing about that too is, and, and just to tie in what you're saying too, is um, from a content standpoint, and even in the interview too, you, th there are many different things that you could talk about as a, as a capital raiser. It doesn't necessarily only need to just be the real estate constantly. It could be things of even how to, f how to find uh, capital within your own economy to invest. How do you get the money? Because some investors might have access to money in certain places that they don't even know of, right? Um, right. So uh, how you could use self-directed uh, qualified retirement vehicles, how you could use life insurance, how you could collateralize other assets, you know, that type of stuff. So all of a sudden you become a person of, 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 of value in more than, more than one way. Well, that's so true, MC. And that's exactly what it's all about. It's all about educating people and allow them to make an educated decision as to whether investing with you right now makes sense or not. And guess what? It won't make sense for everybody right now. But here's the thing. You get top of mind, you stay top of mind. And if you're constant, if you're consistent about that communication, like you've seen, I'm sure, because you've been doing this for years now, MC, that just lends so much more credibility to you, makes you look so much more professional, so much more trustworthy because you've been around for a while, right? They know that they can count on you. And here's the thing. When it comes to investing 50, 75, $100,000, they're going to want to invest that with somebody they can count on, somebody who's reliable, somebody who's consistent. And that's what this all helps to, to encourage. Yep, yeah. absolutely. And then last but not least, step number five, MC, once you've got one or two investors on board, it's so much easier to get more of them with really good testimonials from your happy investors and warm introductions from them to people in their sphere, because they tend to know other people with money. They tend to know other people in, in a similar socioeconomic class. And if they're happy with the job that you're doing for them uh, and, you're, and you understand how to actively encourage these kind of testimonials and referrals, that's how you can really start the, the snowball effect. Um, some of my favorite things about testimonials is to get video testimonials. They're so much more powerful than just a regular written testimonial. 
And they're actually a lot easier to get as well, if you know how to do it. So getting good testimonials, getting good, warm introductions, that's how you can really kick your capital uh, raising to the next level. Absolutely. Uh, so right now, too, I mean, what are some of the biggest challenges that you see for folks that are trying to raise in an environment of uncertainty? Because there might be some folks that are struggling and they hear, well, nobody knows what's going to happen, that type that type of uh, feedback. What are some of the things that you could share around that for folks that are interested in raising capital? Yeah, well, here's my goal when it comes to raising capital, MC. It's it's I want to get a meeting with a prospective investor. I want to have that conversation with them. And then at the end of the meeting, it's not that I necessarily want them to cut me a check for a hundred grand. That's usually yep. not how it works. Usually what I'm getting at the end of the meeting is, hey, yes, I'm interested. When you've got a good deal, I want first dibs. I want the first opportunity, the first kick of the can at that deal. So my whole goal is to get a group of these people, as many as possible, lined up, ready to go in the wings, so that when I've got a deal, I can email that group and I can say, hey, first come, first serve. Here's what I've got. Let me know if you're interested. And then it creates a little bit of a uh, scarcity around that a little bit. It, it gets people you know, actively pursuing you to invest in your deals. That's ideally where we want to get. So my whole first step really in this process is getting uh, an expression of interest. An expression of interest is not a legally binding document. However, it is an agreement. It is a written agreement where it says, for example, I, Dave DeBow, am ready, willing, and able to invest a sum of up to whatever it is, $200,000 with MC in one of his upcoming deals anytime within the next six months. And I sign off on that. It doesn't legally bind me to it, but I tell you what, as soon as somebody puts their signature on that, it is much, much, much more likely that they will invest when the time comes. So that's that's really my whole goal with this is to get as many of those people lined up, ready to go as possible ahead of time. So for your listeners, for your viewers, same thing right now. Are times a little strange? Yes, they are. Are they going to get stranger? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I don't know about you, MC, but at the beginning of the whole pandemic, huh, pretty much everybody's crystal ball sucked. Like it, it, it was amazing. I can remember I put together, I think it was 17 or 18 real estate authorities, we all got together and we kind of had our predictions and almost to a person, everybody was wrong that the real estate market was going to tank with this pandemic. You know, everybody's going to be losing their jobs. You know, nothing nothing was going to happen to the real estate market. If anything, it'd go down. Well, guess what? At least in our areas, it, it went the exact opposite. It was, it, and who, who would have thought? So again, it gets back to the old adage, when's when's the best time to buy real estate? Well, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, next best time is now. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. That's that's a big goal. So again, it's all about getting as many of these conversations going as possible, showing people what you're up to with real estate, showing people that real estate for the average person is a much better investment choice than stocks, bonds, mutual funds, cryptocurrencies, pretty much anything else out there. I don't know about you, my friend, but I don't know any other asset out there that has as many different ways for you to profit from it, You know, depending on how you count them. I'm aware of eight, at least eight different profit centers in a, in a good long-term real estate deal. I don't know any other investment class out there where we exercise more control over the asset than real estate. What we buy, when we buy, how we buy it, to a certain degree, how much we pay for it, how we, how we structure the deal. 
what we do with it once we've got it, how we exit the, the, the property, how we manage the property, all of these different things. We don't exercise that kind of control over virtually anything else. So I think, you know, it's a matter of us educating people, showing them that real estate is the best choice for, for everyday folks like them and like us, and that this is the way to go. Um, on the real estate, in some of the markets that that you that you have students in, that you're operating in, they're all over the place. But what are some of the interesting? If I mean, real estate is very local and 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 very very specific. But what are some of the things that you're seeing in different niches? You know, commercial real estate. If you look at the the retail side of it, if you look at the uh, multifamily, the office space. Um, maybe if you can share what's going on in Canada, because uh, there's there's probably a lot of similarities to what's going on in the United States. Yeah, well, some of our are more successful. Well, I mean, there's not a one size fits all type thing, MC. I've, we've got clients who are super successful doing single family homes. We've got people doing multifamily. We've got self storage, mobile home, mobile home parks. You got people converting. Uh, one interesting thing one of our clients is doing, they're converting uh, older retail type space into either multifamily or mixed use type properties with great success. So they're basically doing burrs on older uh, retail type properties and, and, and having great, great success with that. One of the coolest things that I've seen recently is with the whole short-term rental thing of recreational properties. So again, that was another thing that, you know, people kind of predicted early on, well, this is going to, Airbnb is going to be dead. And to a great degree in the cities, it, it, it took a major hit. But with people not being able to fly off to Mexico and, and wherever for, for Christmas, they started doing a lot more staycations and wanting to get out of the city and, and stay, uh, stay different places uh, away from the crowds kind of thing. So I've seen some really interesting things going on with people getting involved in cottages, doing the burr strategy with cottages, so taking a single family home, turning into uh, you know two units or more, <laughs> that sort of thing, and then renting it by the bed, by the head, and doing amazingly well throughout the whole pandemic. So that's something that's that has perked up my ears uh, over the last little bit. Yeah, it's interesting because I've had the same experience and we've actually rented a, a several short-term uh, rental places. And it's, I mean, they are booked solid uh, because like you said, folks would, uh, they're not flying and traveling so much and maybe they're just looking for a, a, a place that's closer by driving distance, right? To go and uh, to go on vacation and, and now they, they just vacation closer at home. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And I, I think that's going to, I think people have got the taste for that a lot more now. So I don't think that's going to go away even once this pandemic thing kind of calms down. I think it, I think it's going to be a fairly sustainable, maybe not at the same level, but pretty sustainable strategy moving ahead. One guy I was, I was talking with, really, really smart. He's focusing on one specific small community. He's got a dozen properties in that community. In fact, one of them, he's got three properties like all in a cluster. So he said, it's kind of like monopoly. I've got like the, the, the three properties in a row. So now he's, he was able to modify one of the properties that's in front of, front of another one. So now he's got late view from all of his properties. So that boosts up how much you could charge per night per head kind of thing. So 
yeah, and the, the efficiencies of scale and the whole thing, very, very interesting. Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating to see uh, what's happening in that space. And as you mentioned, it's interesting to see how creative folks are getting uh, to convert office space or trying to creatively find other uses for it. Because yeah. office space here has been hit really, really bad. Um, and it doesn't look like it's coming back anytime soon with a lot of companies already now uh, permanently having uh, employees work virtually. Yeah, so it's, I mean, it's the same up here, that's for sure, especially in the, in the larger centers. So watching people creatively repurpose those, those buildings. And uh, I've seen some a little bit in Vancouver where they're, uh, you know, the, the price of housing is so high that creating affordable living spaces has become a big priority. And they're starting to convert some office towers into much more affordable living accommodations for, especially for single people. Yep. The other industry that's tying, it kind of ties into the trend that you're seeing with short-term rentals is the RV, the recreational vehicle in mobile home parks. It is on fire uh, in the U.S. Like some parks, there's a waiting list just to uh, in, in the United States. And we we took a little road, road trip, a good old family road trip. We did the Clark Griswold thing, you know, little uh, family road, road trip. And we saw a lot of these recreational vehicles on the road too. And even if we were driving past the park, I mean, they are packed. Um, well, that just so makes that's sense, right? Where, where, where else are you going to go, right? You can't, well, now it's kind of opening up a bit, but it's harder to jump on a plane and do the European Griswold vacation. So, <laughs> do do the local one in us do the wally world one right <laughs> yeah, yeah the wally it's, world or whatever it was yeah yeah it's interesting it's very 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 interesting um and i mean i think a lot of folks too had their retirement plans delayed so mm-hmm. where you would for example you know buy a condominium somewhere in florida or uh the place that you wanted to retire at that now longer maybe is not feasible so now you adjust um, adjust that uh, retirement and you uh, purchase an RV. Um, and that's kind of now w- w- what you're doing. So there's a lot of folks getting into it. I mean, it's quite a, it's quite a subculture too. I mean, I see folks are, you know, advertising TV shows and stuff on it now too. It's very interesting, very, very interesting to see all these the, things. The other out. interesting thing I've seen through the whole pandemic MC is, is the, is just the migration of people, out of the cities, right? So, so you know, the Industrial Revolution was all about people from the country migrating into the cities for jobs. Well, now we've got so many knowledge workers saying, well, it's time to get the heck out of Dodge. Let's get, why the heck do we need to live in the city if we've proven that we can re- work remotely? So all that we really need is high-speed internet and we're good to go. So now, you know, we're seeing a lot, well, it ties in with the whole recreational property type thing, where, where people are just becoming much more, um, you know, willing to live in, not just willing, but wanting to live in smaller communities. Uh, the the price point on properties in, in rural communities in our area has just gone crazy uh, throughout the pandemic. It, it's really something else. Uh, vacancy rates have gone way down. Demand has gone way up. So that's really interesting to see is I think like you're talking about, right? So many of these office buildings, they're going to be empty because people realize they don't need to sit at a desk 
to do their job. They can they can work from home, and a lot of people really want to do that now. Yeah, huge impact in the economy. Like you said, people are moving out of the cities. They can work from anywhere. They can move closer to family. A lot of folks have started to realize what's actually important, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in life. Uh, so maybe they move closer to to family and. Um, the job market itself, it's just incredible to see how the job market has changed. Because if you were a, a let's just say, a company um, in Philadelphia um, and folks had to live in Philadelphia to work uh, for that company, they now can hire from anywhere because somebody's going to be virtual. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden, the job market is, is interesting because now, I mean, talented folks from all around the country can now apply to work at companies regardless of where they're based out of. So companies can get the most talented folks and the most talented folks can live wherever they want to uh, and, and, and be employed. So it's changed that too, made, a lot, made it a lot more competitive too. I think this is where I think we're going to look back at this, you know, period 10, 20, 30 years from now, MC, and we're going to go, you know, this was a big pivot point, you know, like, like there have been big events in world history. This, I think this is one of these that's going to really fundamentally shift how people think about working and living and, and where they need to be and, and start focusing much more on lifestyle versus location. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Life equity is what someone has referred to it as well, where they think of people have started to think not only about financial equity, but also about life equity uh, and living a certain type of life, which is which is quite interesting. Um, Now, one habit I've observed from wealthy and successful folks is they're always studying. They're always learning. What are you currently studying and learning right now during these interesting times? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a big reader, my friend. And uh Couple of books that I've got handy here. This is one of my new favorites. Who oh, not Dan, how? Dan Sullivan and Benjamin. Yeah, Hardy. so I yes. just actually Who not how. Just actually joined up with the strategic coach, so I'm enjoying that very, very much. So that's a nice, awesome, nice motivational, inspirational, practical kick in the pants. Another great book I read recently. This one, Profit, Profit First. first Yep. Have you seen this one? Yeah, that's yeah, uh, yep. And I've been in strategic coach for a couple of years now. Fantastic, uh, nice company. Yeah. Yep. So Dan Sullivan is uh, fantastic. Yeah, he's a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. So those are those are the couple of things that that I've been focusing on recently. But yeah, always into reading and learning. Lifetime learner. I, lo- I love it. Yeah, it doesn't no, all stick. Just, doesn't yep. all stick all the time. But you know, some of it does. Yeah, that's why what is this? A, repet- a repetition is how we learn, right? That's right. That's Ab- right. Absolutely. Now, a core message in our show is to leave our families, communities, and the world better than we found it by passing down a mindset, values, and principles to future generations, not just money. So if you cannot pass on any money to future generations, and we're only allowed to pass on three principles to them, to build wealth and achieve happiness and success, what would they be? Three principles. Well, I think the first principle would be self-reliance, right? I've, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Not looking to anybody or anything for a handout, not expecting that the government is going to take care of you and babysit you for your entire life. Um, that's a big one. Lifelong learning is another one. I mean, I, I see so many people that 
they quit learning as soon as they get out of school, whatever that looks like, high school, university, what have you. They never want to pick up a good book again. That is the ultimate tragedy, if you ask me. Uh, it's it's having that lifetime curiosity, always wanting to to learn something. I, I picked that up from my father. He was a he always had at least three or four books on the go at all times. And I I do the same thing. I find myself doing the same thing these times. And then I guess another big life lesson, my friend, with all this gray hair I've got in my head, is uh, sounds cliche, but it, it can be a big one. And, and that is you got to understand that as you go through business, as you go through life, you're going to deal with all kinds of people. And sooner or later, you're going to get screwed over. Okay. It's, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And it's probably going to happen several times. If you know, <laughs> learn from it, but here's the thing: uh, early on, I got majorly screwed over in, in in a business situation, and I was so tore up about that for about six months. I was a absolutely miserable sob. My family life suffered, my business definitely suffered, my health suffered, everything suffered, until I had an epiphany one day, and that was, hey, you know what? Forgive them. Sounds biblical, right? Forgive them. Didn't say forget. It said forgive them, let it go, and move on. All right? And the second I embraced that, everything changed. And it's just like this fog, this weight lifted off of me. Within a week, I landed the biggest client I ever had up until that time, just because I had that crystal clear focus, and I wasn't so embroiled in this bitterness. So easier said than done. But if you can if you can really focus on that, that'll make your life a lot happier. Yeah, great, great, uh, uh, just insight there because absolutely, absolutely. So uh, you wouldn't have uh, landed that big client if you weren't focused. So um, no, absolutely good, great stuff, Dave. Um, this has been this has been fantastic. Where can folks learn more about you? Where they where can they? Uh, get more information? Where can they follow you? And where can they stay informed of all of the many projects that you're involved with? Well, thanks, MC. So the best thing to do is go to moneypartnerformula.com. There you can kind of poke around, take a look. You can get a complimentary copy of my book, Money Partner Formula. I'll trade it to you for your name and your email address. You can check out uh, what we're doing. We do uh, virtual uh, workshops from time to time, taking a deep dive into this whole five-step process. If you're interested in that, you can check that out. Uh, so again, moneypartnerformula.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your journey and, and your knowledge and providing so much value for all of my listeners and viewers out there. My pleasure, MC. Thank you so much for having me. And I look forward to having you on my podcast as well. Absolutely. And thank you for you listening and watching our viewers and our listeners and spending your most valuable resource, your time once again with me on the show. Check out all of our past episodes. There's over 750 between Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Investing Secrets, along with all of our many resources, information about our community and our programs at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. Until next time, live infinitely. 
This presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives. So situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.